its own. I'm not so, uh, not so up here alone. Stephen, uh, it was sort of spur of the moment. Uh, he had raised the possibility a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he said, if anything should come up, do you think you'd be interested in, in stepping into the pulpit for me? I'm like, sure. I like hypotheticals. <laughs> I love remote hypotheticals. That, but I forgot to look back at the track record of him and the aviation system over the last few months. Uh, so about 9.15 last night, he texted me and said, missed that flight, nothing else tonight, are you available? You know, and that's uh, one of those things, not about me or what I have or what I know, but God's Word. And making oneself available also, just being willing to share. And we love this Word of God. Those of us who, uh, I mean, it, it is a lifeblood. And we love sharing what we're able to read and, and get into uh, someone did ask me just a few moments ago, I said, okay, we're also missing a drummer. Why aren't you playing the drums? I said, Stephen's only going to trust me with so much. <laughs> this can be corrected. That might not be able to be corrected if I uh, play wrong. It is good to be here uh, in the house of the Lord. Uh, if you, as we jump into it, I'm going to be preaching from 1 John today. The Apostle John's, uh, one of his, his letters, one of his epistles, there's three short books in there, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. This book of 1st John is sort of a, a general epistle to, to believers, uh, most likely in Asia Minor. Uh, it's not like a, a normal letter. There's no, uh, there's no greeting, no discernible body, and no conclusion or, or sign-off there that you see in many of the other letters in the Bible. Uh, but you can tell, uh, because he, he writes in there, I mean, he says, I'm writing this to you. So we can tell that it's a, a letter meant to be uh, read and applied, addressing a number of topics. So we'll be in that book of 1 John, specifically in chapter 2. But also, if you have a physical Bible, put a bookmark into the, his gospel of John, John 15, because he talks about some of these same things. And I'm just going to be looking at the first few verses. Uh, at this point in his life, I'm making a lot of noise, Daniel. I'm sorry about that. Um, it's probably my beard hitting the microphone. Uh, by this point, the Apostle John is uh, probably fairly old. I mean, this, this letter is written in the latter part of that first century. Uh, reading some of the commentaries, probably between 80 and maybe 95 uh, A.D. Uh, so 50 years after uh, Jesus' crucifixion and, and resurrection and ascending back into heaven. So the church has been humming along for a while. Uh, but John is writing this letter to address some of the things that the uh, Christians are facing in their, in their communities, in their culture, uh, and even within the church. Uh, this is a letter of uh, assurance. Your salvation is sure. Your eternal salvation is secure. Uh, let me assure you of what 
walking with God looks like, what, what abiding in Christ looks like. So that's some of the topics that he, uh, he hits on. Uh, this is, I mean, I referred to his gospel, the gospel of John. Uh, that's to uh, convert sinners, to talk about who Jesus is. Uh, this epistle and, and the second and third is to confirm the saints, to assure them, to reassure them, to help believers know that they have eternal life. Um, so this is a general letter. It's a letter of clarity also. He begins at the very beginning about the nature of Jesus. And that's one of the things that he's addressing in this letter and that he uh, has to counter. The believers here in these churches and these communities, um, they're hurting a little bit. They've seen some uh, church members leave their congregation. We see that later in chapter 2. Some people have gone out from their, their congregation, from gone out from their midst, um, and seem to have uh, began uh, preaching against what, what John and, and some of the other disciples have been preaching and calling into question some of these teachings. And so John's trying to reassure them, no, if they've gone out from us, if they're teaching that, maybe they weren't part of us to begin with. Maybe they weren't really attached to the vine, as he uses that analogy in there. So he's trying to assure them that Jesus is God. I mean, he, he uses some of the same language that Jesus did in referring to him. I am. I mean, God says, I am. And Jesus says, I am. So he's trying to reassure these believers, Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. But Jesus is also human. Jesus, there's no, no break between his divinity and his humanity. So John's trying to reassure them of that, uh, that right doctrine of who Jesus is. He's trying to uh, uh, remind them of, of being obedient to Jesus' commands. He talks about commandments and, and uh, following and being obedient and keeping, guarding those commandments in there. Uh, to know Jesus is to keep his commandments. That's going to be a central theme. And then he turns uh, after that to a focus on love for each other. There is a connection between knowing God and loving God and loving others. Knowing God and keeping his commandments and obeying his commandments. So that's where we begin. Um, I love the very beginning of 1 John, the richness of, of what it says about who Jesus is. So we'll step back to that very first part of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father 
and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. Is it this one? No. It is all me. Sorry about that. Uh, we see here one of the first uh, purposes of writing this letter. John, uh, several times throughout this uh, epistle, says, here's why I'm writing this. Here's why I am sending you these words. And the first one we see there in verse 4, I'm writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Uh, that echoes uh, uh, Jesus' words uh, in the Gospel of John, John 15, where he reminds us that we, we find his joy in us and our joy may be full in abiding in him or being obedient in him. Later on at the uh, beginning of verse, uh, chapter 2, he gives another one of his uh, aims for writing uh, this. He says, my, my little children or my dear children, my beloved ones, uh, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. How precious it is to receive encouragement from someone who loves you so dearly, helping guide you away from sin. Cautioning, uh, urging us to, uh, to guard our hearts. I mean, it's valuable to receive uh, someone who is going to give us guidance on, on how not to sin. Uh, a pastor, a friend, a family member, a fellow church member, uh, giving us encouragement and, and warnings even, and avoiding sin. And that's one of John's uh, uh, points here as well. But he says, we are going to sin. He used this uh, there in the, the rest of verse 1. He says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We are going to stumble. We are going to, uh, to fail and to fall. But John reminds us that we have an advocate and I think of, uh, I mean, we see a lot of courtroom dramas and, and trial TVs and such. And, and you might have a, a paid attorney, but an advocate is someone who is really invested, who really believes in you. And they, they go to bat for you and they explain. They want to see the best for you. Jesus Christ is our advocate, he says, the righteous one. And in verse 2, he says, I mean, uh, beyond that, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. A price did have to be paid for our sins. It could have come to us who deserved it. But Jesus, as that, that word says, the propitiation, the one who took that penalty, who paid that price. It was him, and not just for us. And he's writing to the believers here. He says that it's available for all, uh, but also for the sins of the whole world. Picking up in verse 3, and this is the, uh, the centrality of our text today. I'm going to read 3 through 6. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, 
and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. To truly know God. Uh, there is a uh, difference uh, between knowing about God or knowing of God and truly, really knowing God. And he's explaining here, there, uh, in that uh, third verse, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's that link there. If we know God, if we truly know God, we're going to keep his commandments. We're going to want to keep his commandments. We uh, start thinking, well, I mean, what commandments? And many of us are very familiar and, and think back uh, naturally to, to those Ten Commandments and, and to the, the law that was given in Leviticus, and, and those were impossible to keep. They showed us the, the, the failing or the, the inability to keep that law. Jesus, uh, when he uh, was teaching uh, his disciples and his followers, started talking about a new commandment I give to you and, and other commandments that he was giving. And that's, uh, it, Jesus specifically said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to complete the law, to fulfill the law make it perfect, to embody all that. Whatever you couldn't do as human, I will do as God, as that propitiation. But what things uh, did Jesus command uh, of his followers and those who would be his followers? Uh, the first one, uh, Right after uh, Jesus spent some time in the wilderness, before he even started calling his disciples, one of the first things that he did, and we see it in, in Matthew uh, uh, 4, he says, repent. He says, from that point forward, Jesus began to say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Not talking about a, a, a time thing, uh, like it's coming, but it is coming, but the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Repent. So that's the, uh, his command to everyone. Not an optional thing, but that, that command to repent. So that's that first uh, thing that comes to mind. Secondly, we're uh, uh, hand in hand with that in John 14. Uh, believe that Jesus is in the Father. Jesus says, I, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So believe that Jesus is God. Thirdly, uh, take up your cross and follow me. That's quite a command to those who will follow. Take up your cross and follow me. How about this one? Love one another. We've looked at that uh, several times in John 13. Love one another. That's that commandment that, that Jesus gives to his followers. And then we've looked at it uh, not too long ago in, in reading through the book of Matthew and studying Matthew. And this is a pretty tough one also. Pray for your enemies. 
Pray for your enemies, not just those that you love and care about, but pray for those who persecute you. Pray always. Uh, Luke says pray always, consistently. Um, go and make disciples. We think about that commandment uh, at, the, at the tail end of Jesus' ministry where he says, go and make disciples. Those are those commandments that he's talking about here that if we know God, if we truly know God, and if we truly know who Jesus is, we will follow those commands. Uh, how can we know? Uh, what's a sign or evidence there? And we know this that we will keep his commandments. If we know him and love him, we will find his commandments to be valuable. It says keep here. What's, what's keep? And it's not just store away his commandments. This is something that's valuable and precious and, and profitable to you. You want to guard it. But you also, you don't want to hide it. You want to make it, you want to make it seen. This is something that's to be actively safeguarded his commands and if we don't know them how are we going to safeguard them so knowing them uh, spending time in his word and spending time in prayer is how we know uh, those commandments and we find joy in them we don't find them burdensome uh, Stephen preached on, on joy a couple weeks ago when in this series on fruit of the spirits finding joy in serving, finding joy in, in being obedient followers of Christ, not, not as an obligation or, or something that's hard to do, but joyfully serving because we love. Picking up in verses 4 and 5, he looks at the, the opposite side of him, and this is sort of him addressing and several times in, in John's epistle, he'll use that phrase, you've heard it said, or, or some say. Um, here he, he begins out and said, whoever, whoever says. He's addressing some of those who have uh, either left the church and are calling into question some of the, the teachings that John is just so emphatically uh, hitting on here, reminding the followers of. So he's addressing some of those whoever says or, or you've heard several times throughout uh, in this book of John or in this letter of John, First John. You will also, uh, uh, in that culture, there were some who were uh, preaching and teaching against the, the true nature of, of Christ. And he addresses that several times here also. But picking up in verse 4, there at 1 John 2, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. This, uh, you remember that, that, John and his brother James were, were often called the sons of thunder. 
he hits it fairly hard here. He says, you know, they're liars. And that seems so, so, so tough, but he's calling it out there. He says, if, if they say they know him, but they don't keep his commandments, they're liars. And God's truth is not in him. But the converse there in verse 5, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God, excuse me, the love of God is perfected. What's that perfected? And this is our love for God, our love of God. It's made complete. It's matured. Uh, it's made perfect. And nothing that we have makes it perfect. Um, it's brought to a goal. The love of God is completed, is perfected. That last phrase there, uh, picking up at the tail end of verse 5, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says he abides in him, what's abide? Not just hanging out with or, or spending time with, though that's a certainly spending time with is, is a huge component of abiding. But it's that attentiveness, that quietness of listening, the conversing with the, the exalting and the praising and the worshiping is all part of ab abiding with. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If, if you don't mind, turn to the Gospel of John. The 15th chapter of John's Gospel. And this uh, brings to mind some of the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit that Stephen and has been preaching us through and bringing us through. And look at the idea of abiding here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear 
much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The picture that we have of abiding in there is that, that, is that branch, dependent on that vine. And Jesus says, I am that vine, and you are the branches. And then as soon as you are disconnected from, from me, the branch, you wither. You, you die. And then you're firewood. There's nothing, I mean, as soon as you separate from the vine, abide in me, draw strength from me, draw life from me. And what's the evidence that you are abiding in that vine, that you produce fruit. We've talked about those fruits of the Spirit, and, and we can't produce those characteristics that God has, has shown and that he expects us to produce if, we're, produce if we're not abiding in him. And he says, if you abide in me, you ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's John reminding us that if you're going to abide in Christ, you need to walk like he walked. And so we look and, and, and we see, well, how did Jesus walk? Jesus modeled a, a life of obedience. Uh, he set that pattern. I mean, we are humans. We are broken people. We are not going to be the, the, the perfection, the picture that Jesus uh, set. But we strive to follow that pattern. We endeavor to walk like he walked. Jesus did God's will. He did the things that were pleasing to God. Uh, he modeled that life of obedience. Uh, we become more Christ-like is what he's saying there. We ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if we love God, if we know God, we're going to keep his commandments. We're going to guard his commandments. And we're going to walk like Christ walked, like he showed us how to walk. Uh, we ask uh, uh, what our steps are. Uh, what what we should do and how we should act. Well, that first step, if 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 you're not a follower of Christ, is to follow Jesus' first commandment to us: repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus wants us to be part of that family, so repent. He wants you to have that relationship with God. If we are followers of Christ, we look at uh, uh, other aspects of what he has called us to. How do we press in? We pick up our cross and follow him. We walk like Christ walked. 
We press in to his commandments. We dive into his word to see what Jesus is saying and how his followers should act, how we should treat each other, how we should love each other. Those next few verses after uh, uh, verse 6, he goes right into loving one another and saying, this is how people are going to know that you're my followers when you love one another. That's our next step in, in knowing Christ is in loving his word, loving his commandments that he gives to us, and loving one another. Let's uh, close up in prayer, and I'll turn it over to the, uh, to the worship team. Thank you uh, for the opportunity to, to step in. Um, I pray that, that God has used his word in spite of, of the messenger today. So thank you. Father God, we do love you. We thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for your word. God, may your word shine through me, shine uh, in spite of me. Father, we do love your word. We find it so valuable and so precious. Lord, let us keep your commandments. Let us keep your word. Father, let us look at your son and the way that he walked and how he showed us to walk. Father God, thank you. Let us hear your calling now. Let us hear your leading. And let us know you more deeply. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.